It's been called the Great Resignation, or the Big Quit. Last year, record numbers of employees in many countries around the world voluntarily quit their jobs. For example, in April of last year, a record 4 million Americans gave up their jobs. And according to recent reports, the trend is set to continue. A survey carried out by the the Kemi Business School Work Futures Lab, they found that 40% of 1,000 Irish employees said that they agreed or strongly agreed that their future, their future career, lay outside their present organisation. So many people are either quitting their jobs or thinking about quitting their jobs. And there are, of course, numerous reasons for this. COVID is one of them, of course. It's impacted everything. But the improving job market is another. But many others are quitting because they feel overworked, exhausted, and undervalued. In other words, they feel that they've just had enough. They don't feel that their present job is worth it. In the first century, there were a number of Christians who felt a bit like that. They were thinking about quitting. These people had grown up within Old Testament Judaism. But when they heard the gospel, they turned their back on that and they declared their faith in Jesus. And initially, they passionately followed Jesus. They'd been committed to their church, supported their fellow Christians, lived for Christ, even when they were insulted and persecuted, when they were thrown in prison, when their property was confiscated. But recently things have changed. They were suffering from discouragement. They'd started to miss the the sacred buildings and the sights and the smells and the system of the religion that they'd left behind. And they were again getting persecuted. And this time their suffering was more intense, more difficult. And then some people who used to meet with them, had given up. And they'd wandered from their faith. So as a result, they were beginning to wonder, is it worth it? They felt like quitting and going back to Judaism, back to the temple, back to the priesthood, back to the sacrifices that they'd grown up with. They thought it would make their lives easier. Less painful, less difficult. Now our circumstances are very different from those first century Christians. However, I think many of us will know how that feels. We too can get to the point where we think we've had enough. When we question whether it's worth it or not. Is it worth the effort of getting to church on a Sunday morning? Is it worth opening our Bible every day and pouring our heart in prayer? Is it worth forgiving people who have really hurt us and share the gospel with those who don't seem to care? Is it worth getting ridiculed for our moral standards and missing out so that we can honour God? Is it worth denying what we want 
and taking up our cross and following Jesus, even when so many people are walking away. And so sometimes we can feel like resigning. Giving up on the challenge of living for Jesus. Going back to where we came from. Whether that's a life of religion, or self-reliance, or self-centeredness, or just a purposeless existence. So what should we do when we feel like that? What is the answer to this kind of discouragement? This kind of temptation to quit? What can help us to keep going right to the end? Faithful with our whole lives. Well, God gave us his answer. God called someone to write into that situation in the first century Christianity. We don't know the person's name. Nobody knows who it was. But we do know what they wrote. Because we call it the letter to the Hebrews. It's a really challenging book to read, this letter. A guy called William Barclay, he said about it that for the person of today, it's the most difficult book in the whole New Testament. That would really make you want to read it, wouldn't it? I don't know if that's true or not. But there are certainly parts of it that we'll need to be really careful in how we think about it to make sure we don't misunderstand it. And there are serious warnings in this book that might make us feel uncomfortable. But this letter was not written to confuse us or to scare us. At the end of his letter, the writer said this in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 22. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. For I've written you only a short letter. Now, you and I might have a different idea of what a short letter looks like. Okay, if you've ever written a letter to somebody, I've never written a letter this long. But I hope that you will be able to agree that this is a word of exhortation. This is a word of encouragement. It is written to Christians who are in desperate need of it. And so we're going to study it to try and find encouragement for ourselves. To help us to keep on trusting in Jesus. No matter what challenges we face. And how will this letter do this? How will this letter help us to keep going, to to be passionate for Jesus right to the end? Well, it does it by pointing us to Jesus. By calling us to fix our eyes on Him. Because that's the ultimate encouragement that we need. Because whatever else we might be tempted to, to turn to, to trust in, to depend on, to follow... This letter will tell us that Jesus is better. And that's what Hebrews declares right from the start. So we're going to read the introduction this morning. Just the first four verses together. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. And Sandra's going to come up and she's going to read it uh, to us this morning. Thanks, Sandra. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Thank you very much, Sandra. In the original Greek manuscript, these four verses constitute just one sentence. A very long sentence, and absolutely packed full of vital truth for our lives. Now, we're only going to be introducing these truths today, because the writer of, of Hebrews draws them out and explains them in much more detail in the rest of the letter. But they're all about how Jesus is better. First of all, there is the superior revelation of Jesus. For centuries, God had been speaking into the nation of Israel. In the past, verse 1, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. The people of Israel had the amazing privilege of receiving God's word. This came to them through the ministry of the prophets. At different points in history, these individuals were called and equipped by God to listen for His voice and then to declare His truth to the nation. People like Moses, or Elijah, or Isaiah, or Jeremiah, or indeed all the, what we're called the minor prophets that we're going to be reading through in our, in our reading plan as a church together. And they, they did this in a variety of different ways. Some of them just stood and declared God's commands. Others brought words of encouragement. Others had visions and dreams. Some told stories. Right? Nathan did. Remember Nathan last week we looked at when he told that story to David. Others performed amazing miracles like Elijah and Elisha. And others enacted their message in their lives. Like how we read this week in a reading plan about Hosea. How he embodied his message by marrying an unfaithful wife. These prophets accurately and powerfully spoke God's truth. Their words, as contained in Scripture, are God-breathed and are useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. The Old Testament is the wonderful revelation from God to us. One that we should treasure and read and study. The writer of the book of Hebrews believed that because he quotes from it again and again and again. But those prophets they declared an incomplete, a partial revelation from God. They pointed to the truth, but they did not declare it in its entirety. That truth was a mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God. But now, now we have something better. Verse 2, in these last days, 
He has spoken to us by His Son. Jesus is not just another prophet sent from God. He is God's ultimate, God's final word to this world. His message and His ministry is the the climax, the fullness of what God wants to say to us. So His words are more important than the law given to Moses and that Moses taught. And more important than the challenge that Elijah brought or that of any of the other prophets. That's not because their words were not from God, were not a revelation from God. But rather it's because Jesus is the full and final revelation from God. So if you and I want to know God, if we want to understand God's plans and purposes for our lives, if we want to experience life to the full, if we want to make sure that we don't miss out on what is important in life, then we need to come to Jesus. He's the final destination. He is the last stop on that journey of discovery. We don't need anybody else. We don't need a new teacher or prophet or guru. Jesus' gospel will never be superseded. It will never be improved on. It will never be upgraded. He is the truth. He is the word of God to us today. So we mustn't go looking anywhere else. We mustn't get tired or fed up or try some other philosophy or theology. The message of Christ must always be at the centre of our lives. We can never base our lives on a better foundation than God's word as revealed in Christ Jesus. As Peter declared on a day when he got this, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. But it's not just Jesus' revelation that is superior. It's also his work is superior. He has done and continues to do what nobody else could do. So verse 2 says, He is our creator, through whom he made the universe. In the beginning, before time and space began, the Son spoke this world into existence. So, everything that we see around us, whether it's with our own eyes, or whether it's through one of these amazing telescopes that reach into the depths of space, or whether it's about with a, an electron microscope that, that peers into the, the tiny details of the organisms or, or molecules that our world is made up of, or whether we're talking about the invisible world, the spiritual world that we cannot see, all of that was made by the Son. There is nothing that exists in this world that was not made by Him. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, 
For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him. And for him. And that means that there's no situation, no difficulty, no problem that we might go through in our lives today that's too difficult for Jesus to handle. This is what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 32. Our sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. If Jesus really is our creator, then he can handle everything. The Son did not just create all things. He's also sustaining all things by his powerful word. The Son holds this universe together. He ensures that it continues to operate as it was designed to. It's His power that keeps the planets continuing in orbit. Or that allows the seasons to change. Or allows our bodies to function. He is the one who's in charge. He is the one on whom we all depend. And if Jesus is able to sustain this whole universe, then he's able to provide us for whatever we need. He really can say to us, my grace is sufficient for you. He is all that we need today. And that's not just for our physical life. It's also for our spiritual life. Because he's the one, verse 3, who had provided purification for our sins. Now this is going to be a major focus of this letter. The believers that this letter was written to had grown up in a system of priesthood that made it elaborate and continued sacrifices, animal sacrifices. Those believers had in the past depended on these sacrifices to make them right with God and to give them access into God's presence. Again and again, they participated in these religious rituals in the hope, the hope of the forgiveness of their sins. But Hebrews will say that it didn't work. Hebrews will tell us that these sacrifices could never work. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, as Hebrews 10.4 says. And it's the same today. It doesn't matter where we go, or how sincere we are, or how regular we attend, No amount of religious ritual or rule keeping or sacrifice making could ever remove our guilt from God. We could spend our whole lives absolutely committed to a religious system and still end up lost for all eternity. 
But the amazing news is today that Jesus has done what nobody else could do. Hebrews 9.26 says, Now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Through his death on a cross, once and for all, he has fully paid the price of our sins. So through faith in Him, sinners like you and me, we can be declared completely righteous, holy, perfect in God's sight. We can be adopted as His children, filled with His Spirit, and fully accepted into His presence. Guys, nobody else can offer this. Nobody else can provide this. Our creator and our sustainer has become the one and only saviour. So why would we want to go anywhere else? Why would we be tempted to turn from Christ? As Peter and John declared to the Sanhedrin, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must. Be saved. But why could Jesus do what nobody else could do? Well, it's because of who he is. Look at verse 3 again. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. For the Jews... The glory of God was the visible and outward expression of God's majestic presence. So, for example, when the law was given, in Exodus chapter 24, it says the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. And then when the tabernacle was set up, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It was the visible sign that God had come to dwell with his people. But now, Jesus is that visible and outward expression of the majestic presence of God. He is the splendor. He is the brightness of God's brilliance. And that's because he is fully God himself. John writes in John chapter 1, verse 14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. And He's also the exact representation of His being. Our English word, character, comes from that Greek word that is translated here, representation. Jesus is the perfect representation. He is the very substance, the essential nature, the true character of God. Or as Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 1, He is the image 
of the invisible God. The Son provides an accurate, comprehensive, trustworthy picture of the Father. And again, that declares His deity. Because only the one who is fully God and fully man could accurately and fully be the image of the invisible God. So if we want to see God, if we want to understand who He is, if we want to understand what He has done, what He is doing, and if we want to know Him personally in our lives, then we need to look to Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. As he said to Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is a, he's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And finally, because of all of this, the Son has a superior status. The Son is the one whom he appointed heir of all things. The whole world belongs to Jesus. And he is the appointed ruler of it all. Now this is not fully revealed in this world today. But one day it will be. One day it will be obvious to everybody. And amazingly, on that day, if we have trusted in Jesus, then we are going to share in that inheritance. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. He said about us, if we have trusted in Jesus, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we might share in His glory. And this future role of the Son was demonstrated when He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on High. This is a truth that the writer of Hebrews will return to again and again. In chapter 8, it will point to Jesus' position as the great High Priest in chapter 10, it will show that his sacrifice, once for all, paid fully the price of our sin. In chapter 12, it will show that his suffering is over. But here the emphasis is that he's been given the ultimate place of power and honour. And so he became, <clears throat> therefore, as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now we're going to think about that in much more detail next time because the rest of chapter 1 focuses in on that amazing truth. But that this is the conclusion of this introduction. Jesus is now elevated to the superior status. He's no longer that little baby in the manger in Bethlehem. He's no longer that carpenter working in Nazareth. He's no longer that teacher walking through, through the, the streets telling people about Jesus. He's no longer that suffering saviour on the cross. He's now seated 
at the right hand of the throne of God. And he's been given a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. This is who Jesus is. He is better. He's better because he's brought a better revelation as God's final word to us. He's better because he's accomplished a better work in creating and sustaining this world and laying down his life to save it. He's a better person, fully God and fully man, perfectly radiating God's glory and representing his image. And so now he is a better status than even the angels as the ultimate sovereign sitting at God's right hand. And so, whatever we are going through today, whatever difficulties we're facing, whatever discouragements, whatever disappointments, he is the one that we need. He is all that we need. So guys, let's not give up. Let's not walk away like so many others do. Instead, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. He is worth trusting in. He is worth depending on. He is worth clinging to. Because he is 